Write to be read podcast, episode number 81. Interview with James Altucher. Are you struggling trying to figure out how to sell copies of your book, especially the first 100 copies? The Author Marketing Institute is offering access to their latest free video course called Selling the First 100 Copies of Your Book. This is the course everyone should have when they started publishing. It goes through all the basics from starting a mailing list to experimenting with different prices. If you follow the instructions in this course, you should be primed and ready to sell your first 100 copies, if not many more. Sign up for free at www.com authormarketinginstitute.com You are listening to the Right to be Read podcast and this is your host, Ani Alexander. Hello everyone, it's me, Ani Alexander and you're listening to the Right to be Read podcast, the podcast that inspires and encourages writers. Well, today is a very special episode for me because I wanted to interview this person since a long time, but I didn't have the courage to approach him because of the self-doubt, insecurities and uh, many other nonsense that keeps us from amazing things that may happen to us in life. So I finally one day got the courage and wrote him a Facebook message and I'm really glad that I did because today I will be talking to James Altucher. For very few of you who don't know who James is, uh, here is the short bio before we start. So James Altucher is a successful entrepreneur, investor, board member, and the writer of 11 books, including the recent Wall Street Journal bestseller, Choose Yourself. He has started and sold several companies for eight-figure exits. He is on the board of a billion revenue company, has written for the Financial Times, the New York Observer, and over a dozen popular websites for the past 15 years. He's run several hedge funds, venture capital funds, and is a successful angel investor in technology, energy, and biotech. He has also lost all his money, made it back, lost it, made it back several times, and openly discusses how he did it in his columns and books. So let's start the interview. And here we go. Hello, James. I feel really honored to have you on the show. Welcome to the Right to be Rad. Ani, I am so happy to uh, be on the show. Did I pronounce your name correctly? Yes, exactly, Ani. Well, thank you for coming once again. And um, I would like to start our conversation from something I recently read on Facebook as your status. And it, it kind of explained um, a situation which, which I really related to, which kind of told the story when you um, just left the office and never came back. So can can we talk about that first, like, you know, what led you to that extreme stage and um, what made you make this risky step and just leave all behind? Well, okay, so so what happened was I was in a meeting. Uh, I'll, just, I'll describe specifically what happened and then kind of a little bit of the background. But specifically what happened was I was in a meeting And I was really bored out of my mind in the meeting. And I had some other problems and issues with uh, kind of the boss. 
And the other thing that had happened was the day before I had fallen. So I was going to lunch with my coworkers and I just, I don't know what happened. I fell straight down, which had never happened to me before. And I really hurt my leg. So I was kind of just spending the day limping around. So I limped into this meeting and uh, I was bored out of my mind, like I said, and I, I stood up to go to the bathroom and I honestly thought I was just going to go to the bathroom and come back. But I ended up taking the, just walking to the elevator. I left behind everything in my office. Like I had books, I had a coat, uh, my name was on the office door. And I took the elevator down, uh, about 50 stories down. And I took the subway to the train station. I took the train 70 miles north to where I lived. And I never went back to the office and I never responded to any phone calls. I never responded to any emails. I never talked to them again. I just simply quit my job. And, um, you know, a lot of things kind of led up to that. One was I took the job thinking it was very exciting. But when I wanted to have concrete discussions about, you know, what my bonuses would be given during if I brought in certain business or whatever, the boss would say, always say, you know, James, just trust me. <laughs> and, you know, life life doesn't really work like that. Like, you know, I, I trust mostly, you know, the people I love and the people who love me. But I'm not going to trust a random guy who hires me. You know, the the genesis of the word boss comes from the Dutch word boss, which uh, means a, a master of slaves. So I'm not going <laughs> to... I'm not going to trust my master to always tell me the truth, particularly when I don't even really know him that well. So uh, so that was making me feel uncomfortable. And what does that mean? So suddenly all these things were happening, like I fell and hurt my leg. So now my body was in pain. And then him saying this, I felt like, again, my body was like nervous, like I didn't really feel comfortable. And then I was in this meeting, a meeting that I had set up actually, I was in this meeting that I, where I was really bored and I didn't feel like uh, I was contributing much to it, even though I had set up the meeting. So all of these things together, I felt like instantly, you know, this is not the right situation for me to be in. And so it's one thing when you give up some salary, you know, you give up, you know, let's just, I'll take a very simple example. $20, if I lost $20, I could always make $20 back. That's not a big deal. Money is not the end of the world. Even though money is very important, that's no doubt that money is very important, but it's not the end or the beginning of the world. But if I lose 20 minutes of my life, I will never ever be able to rewind the clock. I will never get 20 minutes of my life back. So, so I got up and I quit. And I spent more time with my family and I spent more time with my brain coming up with ideas. And ultimately, I was able to make more money in situations where I loved the people around me instead of was nervous about the people around me. So I find that often people stay in situations where their body is already telling them, please leave this situation. But they think to themselves, no, I have a mortgage to pay. I have kids to pay. I, I had all of those things too, by the way. And and so their their mind, their brain convinces them not to listen to their bodies, what their bodies and emotions are telling them. And I think that's not such the best way to live. 
Yeah, well, I, I agree with you completely because, I mean, I uh, waited until I developed neurosis until I actually did resign finally. And I have a feeling that, like, you know, um, like you said, the good things started happening just after you got the courage and did that and made that step. Because, um, you know, uh, many things weren't happening because that space was occupied by, by the job I had so um, did you experience new beginnings and um, your risk was rewarded I suppose always and so so I I do what I call uh, uh, I call it my daily practice so so important to that is every day I try to stay physically healthy every day I try to be around people who I really respect and trust and love Every day I try to exercise my idea muscle. So I write down 10 ideas a day. And I call it a muscle because I'll use as a, an example your your leg muscles. Let's say you get in a bicycle accident and you're you have to stay in bed for two weeks. Well, your leg muscles will atrophy so quickly that you'll actually need physical therapy to walk again or to help you walk again. And it's the same thing that happens with the idea muscle. If you don't exercise the ideal muscle every day, it'll start to atrophy. But if you do exercise it every day, within a few months, you become an idea machine. And I always have faith that if every six months, my life is going to be completely different, so different, it's unpredictable. Like I cannot possibly predict where my life will be six months from now because I'm constantly having ideas about every aspect of my life. And and finally, the fourth aspect of health that I try to practice every day is I try to be grateful for what I have and not complain or blame or regret or feel anxious. But very quickly, your body will tell you if you're in a situation where there's some regret, there's some anxiety, there's some worry. So, you know, not to eliminate all anxiety in life because some anxiety is, is healthy for you. But if it's too much, Anxiety points you in the right direction. So in this case, it was pointing me, among other things, it was pointing me to to leave this job and find better situations. And so, yes, I very, you know, maybe there was a period where I was working on ideas, but then ultimately I found much better situations. A situation, for instance, that leads me to be on this podcast with you right now. (laughs) I wouldn't be on this podcast with you if I had kept that job. Absolutely. I wouldn't be making this podcast either if I had my job, actually. Yeah, true. Yeah, so so ultimately jobs are kind of a small subset, a very small subset of ways to make a living. And notice the phrase, make a living, make a life. A life is much bigger than just a job. And ultimately... A life is short. We only have one life. You know, even if you believe in reincarnation, our, our, our life right now is the most special thing we have. And so a job is only a small part of that. Now, you have to make an income to support a family, but there are many, many ways to make an income, not just one nine to five job. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. And uh, um, I know that you you tried many different things. And uh, I know that you also have um, failed many times and got back to your feet again. So let's let's talk about failure. Do you think that there is such thing as absolute failure or each one of them um, brings in something new and leads you to something else? I I don't think there's such a thing as absolute failure. And in fact, 
So, so I've started many businesses and most of them have failed. Maybe I've started 20 businesses and 17 of them have failed. And I've invested in many companies. Some do well, but most fail. Um, but I think there's too much what I call failure porn on the internet. Like, oh, you have to fail to succeed. Or failure is good, so now you've paid your dues. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, failure really, really sucks. It's like painful to fail. I don't like it. I would never wish it on anyone. I don't recommend it for anyone. And I hope I never fail at anything again. Like, I really like success much better than I like failure. So I think much better is to is to set yourself up in such a way that failure becomes strengthening for you. So for instance, just changing the language of it. Like don't call failure a failure, call it an experiment. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I invest in a, when I start a company, it's an experiment. When I start a new job, it's an experiment. The experiment might work, the experiment might not work, in which case I'll try another experiment. Life is, life is not, you know, the universe itself is not a universal order. Chaos is kind of the natural rule of the universe. So it's going to be natural that you experiment many times before you find things that work for you. So we, we kind of grew up thinking there's a straight line. Like we go to school, we go to college, maybe we go to grad school, we get married, we have kids, we stay married forever, our kids are great, we get a job, we get promotions, we, we built up some wealth from the promotions, and we retire and travel the world and then die. That's kind of the straight line path. But that never really works. That's just kind of a myth. But it's the myth that we all sort of grow up into. And then we get disappointed when the myth doesn't work out. Mm -hmm. When the reality is every step of the, the way on that myth, on that straight line path, every step of the way is an experiment. Okay, maybe I'm 25 years old and I get married. Well, that's an experiment. It might not work out. By the time you're 30, you might not get along with the person you married at 25. So, okay, now you get a divorce or you separate and you move on to the next experiment. Or I'm not encouraging that. I'm just saying that as an example. Or, you you know, you have a job at 22 um, maybe you're a lawyer. Well, by the time you're 28, you might decide, oh, the law is really boring or I'm ready for, I'm ready to be a painter. Uh, and so now you try something new. It's another experiment. That experiment might not work. You might be a horrible painter, but at least you gain this life experience. And now maybe, now that you've done law and you've done painting, maybe you can be, I don't know, some combination of that, like an agent representing great painters, or you can be uh, an art collector or whatever. You know, there's, there's ways to intersect your interests to come up with new interests. And uh, that's how life is. Life is kind of this experiment where we add and subtract and merge ideas and come up with new ideas. Yeah, well, I, I have a feeling that if you look at it from that standpoint and, you know, look at it as an experiment, then everything kind of looks more positive and easier. And most probably people won't get disappointed at the very first thing that didn't work out if you look at it that way. So let's say uh, someone is has written one book and then the second and the third and none of them became a bestseller. Many would get disappointed at that point and maybe even stop writing. So what has been keeping you trying again and again and standing back to your feet every single time? What have been driving you forward? Well, you know, in the 90s, I was uh, really interested in computer science. So I went to graduate school for computer science. 
And then I lost interest, and I became interested in writing a novel. So I wrote four or five novels, and none of them got published. They were horrible. I was in my early 20s. I was young. Um, I couldn't... I didn't write well at all, I don't think. And But I kind of maybe gained experience writing. So I would constantly go back and forth between computer science. I set up a software company later. But then also I was interested in writing. So I worked for an entertainment company. I tried writing in different ways. Finally, I got interested in other things. I got interested in financial media, and I created a financial website using my background in software, but I would write articles, so I started writing about finance, so I'm combining all my interests, and this is over a period of, you know, first 10 years, then 15 years, and then I started interest, being interested in writing more about my own personal experiences and my own stories. I would say it took, and then I started publishing books. I started writing books that got published, and maybe my eighth or ninth book became a bestseller. And now when I write books and I, when I write articles, they're generally read by a lot of people. And, and you know, but it took a lot of uh, uh, pain and, and suffering. Not that I needed to have pain and suffering. I should have just kept, you know, writing and, and, and you know, mastering a craft. But uh, eventually, I you know, it takes time and persistence. I always say, um, persistence plus love equals abun- equals abundance. So if you love what you're doing and you're persistent at it, eventually you'll have abundance at it. Now, if you take out any part of that equation, you won't create abundance. So you might love something. I loved writing in, in 20 years ago, but you know, if I had just uh, you know didn't learn, or if I had stopped writing after the first attempt. I would never have abundance at it. You have to have persistence. Now, what if you don't have love for what you're doing? Well, then ultimately, the person you're you're competing against people who do have love for what they're doing. So, mm-hmm. the person who has love for what they're doing versus the person who doesn't have love for what they're doing, you know, eventually the person with love for what they're doing wins and will succeed at it. Yeah, yeah, I agree totally. And and by the way, if you don't find abundance at what you're doing, uh, you'll eventually stop doing it because much better to do things. You'll fall in love faster with things that you have abundance in. Yeah, absolutely. So um, success means different things for different people. And I, I would like to find out what is success for you specifically? Or does it change periodically? I mean, do you reevaluate that? Um. Yes and no. Success for me means today I wrote I today I I physically am healthy. Today I spend time doing things I love doing with people I like being around. Uh today I'm creative and today I'm grateful for what I have. Because the best predictor of a successful tomorrow is is a successful today. That's the only predictor of a successful tomorrow. So so success for me only means I'm successful at what I'm doing today. I don't even think about success tomorrow. I have no goals. I have no hopes for the future. Uh, I only have hopes for today because I know that that means uh, good things will happen tomorrow. I have no way to predict what's going to happen tomorrow. So I, so it's senseless for me to make a goal that I'm only going to be, um, you know, I'll most likely be disappointed in. I, mm-hmm. I don't set myself up for a disappointment. Mm-hmm. I, only, I only focus on having a successful today. 
Yeah, I see. So, and since you've you've had ups and downs, and you've been in both situations, uh, wh- when you've been um, up and you had your best periods, uh, did that change you? Because I- I've been meeting people recently who are kind of you know the success kind of gets to your their head and they get a bit disillusioned and they change a lot from what they were. So uh, did success change you somehow or you're the same person you've been like you know many years ago? Well, I think uh, um, I changed a lot. Like I've had, so one time I sold a company and I made a lot of money and I think I became very arrogant and I spent all the money. I lost all the money. And then suddenly instead of being very happy uh, and being very arrogant, I was very depressed and very suicidal. So I changed quite a bit as a result of, of success, both in, in both directions. And so now I try to be uh, more more even. Um, so, you know, a couple of weeks ago, something very good happened to me. And that's fine. I'm very uh, even about it. I didn't need to celebrate it. It was just a natural course of events. And I still work hard at making sure things continue well. And and at the same, almost at the same time, something really, really bad happened to me. And I was depressed about it for a day. But then I said, okay, what can I learn from this? What did I do wrong? How could I have interacted better with people? How could I have uh, gotten out of this situation earlier? Uh, and also, I tried to learn from it and keep it even. If I regret and and stay in pain, what's the point? You know, again, I can't make back the time I can't make back the money. You know, I can make back the money, but I can't make back the time. So much more valuable to me is to focus on ideas and get rid of regrets. Mm-hmm. I see. And um, as you already mentioned, you've published many books. And as far as I know, you, you've you seen the both sides of the story and you've been traditionally published as well as self-published. So which is um, the way you prefer and why? Um, definitely self-published because... The only good thing about being – there's two good things about being traditionally published. One is the publisher gives you some money called an advance. But advances are going down every year. The average advance goes way down every year. Um, and then the other thing a publisher gets you is um, uh, distribution in bookstores. But you know now every year Amazon and e- e-books sell more and more. So more e-books are sold than – non-ebooks, and even paperback books. I think something like Amazon sells 41% of all paperback books, at least here in the US. So so there's more and more ways to get books than bookstores now. And so you don't necessarily... Traditional publishing, though, hurts you in many ways. For instance, I have no control over the marketing. I have no control over the title. I have no control over how the book's edited, or I have no control over how the book's designed. So... Having control over marketing and pricing is critically important to sales. Uh, the publisher doesn't care about you. They only care about how much the book is going to sell. But when I publish a book, I'm thinking about my overall you know, relationship with an audience. And that, audi- that relationship is going to continue, not just with this book, but with other books, with other writing with other methods. So there might be many ways I might want to communicate with my audience. 
um, and a, a traditional publisher blocks you from the audience and blocks you from communicating with that audience. So I find traditional publishing to be horrible. And in fact, my first uh, book that made the bestseller list was a self-published book. And yeah. you might think that self-published books don't aren't as good as traditionally published books. But, you know, most traditionally published books are pulled out of the pile by people who are not qualified necessarily to say which books are good and which books are bad. And in fact, the statistics show that on Amazon, at least, self-published books actually rank higher than most traditionally published books. Okay, guys, let's stop here just for a few minutes. And I would like to let you know that I have a new sponsor who's got very important message for you. So we will stop here just for exactly one minute. And uh, you will listen to their message. And then I'll get back to you. And we will continue the show. Deal? Did you know there's a new place to sell your audiobooks besides ACX and Audible? There is Buck Books. Authors, I know most of your audiobooks are sold exclusively through ACX, but on any new books you have, a one-day sales pit stop at Buck Books is a no-brainer. When your narrator finishes your audiobook, send us the files, and we will feature it to tens of thousands of our active subscribers and growing for one day only. You get some great sales, and the very next day you can upload it exclusively to ACX. This is a great way to help offset the cost of production on a new audiobook and start building a strong relationship with the world's hottest free book promotion service, Buck Books. Not sure how to go about getting your book made into an audiobook or having trouble deciding if audiobook production is right for you? With an audiobook team of 10 and the lowest production cost around, Buck Books is ready to help you finally add this lucrative format to your author portfolio and sell it too. For more information, send an email to john at buckbooks.net. That's john, J-O-H-N, at buckbooks.net. Okay, now we're back to the show. So let's continue with the questions to James Altucher. I was just wondering, I mean, uh, coming up and ending up as a, with a professional book as a result, uh, how affordable is it for newbie writers? Is, do, do you think like anyone can end up with a professional book as a result or there is an, a, a big investment involved in that? It depends because you can do it in several ways. For instance, Amazon has a division called CreateSpace. So you can basically upload a Microsoft Word file, have it turned into a paperback and a Kindle. You can pick out a cover and they have like a million choices you can pick as a cover. You can pick out your title and then you have a book published. That's as easy as it is and it costs you zero. Mm -hmm. So or you can hire a designer to make the cover. You can... Um, you know, hire an editor, uh, you can hire a marketing company, but those things are not necessary. If you have a novel sitting in your desk that you would like to publish, all you got to do is upload it and it's published. And I think, I always think the best way to market a book is to write a second book. So, you know, and that's free also. It's just your time, which mm -hmm. obviously you can't get back. But if you love writing, then that's fine. So how do you keep staying so productive? Do you have any specific writing routine or uh, what, what keeps you stay productive? And uh, besides, uh, you know, uh, working on your idea muscle, of course. Well, okay. So I'll just take uh, the past day. So I write every single day. And, uh, you know, yesterday 
I ate, you know, it, it starts off, you have to have a good night's sleep. So you have to sleep like whatever your natural rhythm is, but mine is like eight or nine hours a night. And so to have a good sleep, you don't want to, you don't really want to be digesting food while you sleep. So I eat at least three hours before I go to sleep. I don't watch TV before I go to sleep. Uh, so um, I, it gives me a chance to go to sleep early. And then I wake up very early. I woke up by 5 a.m. this morning. It gives me two hours to read. And when I'm reading, I'll read a combination of fiction and nonfiction. So I'm learning something from the nonfiction, but I'm also getting a taste of really good writing from the fiction. And then I start writing. And I might write about an experience I had or an experience I had a long time ago or something that I learned that I want to share in my own particular way. And uh, and then I write. And 70% of what you write is going to be bad, no matter how good you are. So <laughs> you have to give yourself permission to write something bad. And then usually I publish. And usually when I publish, I'm nervous. Will people like this? Will people not like it? And you have to get over that feeling so you keep on publishing and, and not being so anxious about your writing. Okay, so you're still nervous. It doesn't go away. Never goes away. I published... I published five minutes before we started this podcast, and I'm uh, nervous that it's good or not. <laughs> Amazing. I was just, okay. <laughs> I thought that with the time, people get used to that, but apparently not. <laughs> Maybe some people do. I'm not only speaking for myself. I'm nervous every time I hit publish because I'm nervous because I always try something new every time I hit publish. And if I'm not trying something new and trying something that I think is different from everybody else, then I feel my writing will get boring. And so I'm always nervous when I'm trying something new. Whenever you do an experiment, you're hopeful that it works, but you're also nervous that it doesn't work. Uh-huh, exactly. Well, l let's talk about that. I mean, many people kind of, you know, take creative classes, uh, they kind of try to stick writing uh, in the genre which sells well and try to fit into the things which are kind of, you know, accepted and liked and etc, etc. So, uh, while uh, some others, like you mentioned, try to be different and original. So, should one have any balance between those two or you know what's your approach about this that's a good question because yes if you write in a popular genre and you write a pop a good a good book in that genre you'll be successful but i think the key is really is to focus on being a good writer improving your skills at writing because then the genre will find you like you know you take a writer like stephen king okay He's a very popular writer and he sold, you know, tens of millions of copies of his books. He didn't necessarily, he's not always a horror writer, but that's kind of the genre he falls in. Some of his books are not horror at all, um, but they're still in that genre. So is he a genre writer? I don't know. I think he just writes about what's important to him. And then, and he write, he, he in particular, his approach is he writes about things that scare himself and he then his imagination takes over and then he writes a successful book now you some people like stephen king some people don't because they consider him a genre writer um but the the fact of the matter is he sold tens of millions of his books so many people think he's a successful writer and many people enjoy his writing ultimately the goal of whether you're a good writer or not is if people enjoy your writing so you know else why are you writing if you're writing just for yourself that might be fine But then you have different, you know, you have a different approach to writing than someone who's trying to write for millions. 
Mm-hmm. And you mentioned improve as a writer. How do you do that uh, besides writing every day? What else can one do besides reading and writing every day? Nothing. The only way you can improve as a writer is by writing and reading every day. Okay, fine. Because yeah. I didn't it, know any other ways. I, I wondered if there are some. So no. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people think they have to have experiences to write. Um, and that may or may not be true. But, you know, much more important than the experiences is writing and reading every day. Now, you may say, okay, well, I'm going to go to uh, uh, a, a war-torn country and write about the stories I see there. So that's another, that's journalism, journalism writing, and it's a different style of writing. Um, and some people kind of border, they have more fun experiences. It's not quite journalism, but they write about those experiences. So that's writing too. But I really think the most important thing is just writing a lot. The, every word you write, you'll get better at writing. Every word you read, you'll get maybe a little bit better at, at, at writing. So let's say every word is worth 100% and every word you read, every word you write is worth 100% and every word you read is worth like 50%. So, mm-hmm. so that's how you get better at writing. And then maybe experiences are worth like 10%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see. And you have mentioned that sincere voices will always rise to the top. And I, I would like to touch that point because there are many people, myself included, who have difficulties kind of opening up and putting uh, in a vul- yourself into a vulnerable situation of, you know, kind of you know, being completely open and honest and, uh, you know, finding your sincere voice. So what would you advise those who, who have trouble doing that? Uh, you know, there's, there's a couple of things. One is, let's look at what what's bad first and then we can talk about what's good so what's bad what i consider bad writing is someone who says okay here's 10 here's an article 10 ways to be a better leader and they're writing from like the mountaintop oh uh you know do this 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 and this here's the 10 ways to be a better leader i want i that's bad writing to me i want to know when somebody was a horrible leader and then this is specifically what happened to them to become that they improved. I want to hear their stories. You know, writing is about storytelling. It's not about lecturing. So I don't want to hear anybody who's just writing from a pedestal. Here's how you be a better, uh, uh, you know, leader or better this or better that. Um, so storytelling is an important part of writing. What is storytelling? Well, you're telling your own truth. You're 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 either going to tell something that's false or you're going to tell something that's true. Well, then you could say, well, what about fiction? Isn't fiction um, telling something that's false? And the answer is no. Fiction is there's a great quote. Fiction is a lie told truthfully. Mm-hmm. So let's say let's say someone writes a book and in the first chapter of the book. Um, I, I know a friend of mine wrote this, wrote a book like this. The first chapter of the book is uh, the the this little boy is kidnapped by someone who sells him into sex slavery. So this may or may not have this didn't happen to my friend, but he told this story because this was his worst fear. So he's telling an important truth about himself in the form of fiction, and mm-hmm. throughout the book is different truths that he feels come out, none, none of these things are true, but it's his own way of telling his own personal truth. 
about what his fears are, about what his views of different people are, and so on. So for me, I don't write fiction. I write nonfiction. But I tell stories about very intimate, personal things that have happened to me because people – not that people want to know so much about what happens to me. And this is where you know practicing writing comes in. But I tell things in such a way that people could maybe relate. Okay, here I had this business that didn't work out. Here I had a job that didn't work out. Here I had a job that I was uh, – I got so sick and tired of I couldn't stand another day of it. Here I had a marriage that didn't work out. Well, a lot of people can relate to that. So I tell the story of what happened to me but in such a way that other people can relate to. Now, how do, how do I know other people are going to relate to it? I don't really know, but this is where practice comes in. You practice reading and you practice writing. Mm-hmm. I see. And how do you deal so, with... So, so if you're afraid, Ani, of telling something that's deeply personal to you, well, maybe you can tell stories of other people where these things happen to, and that's how you tell like a personal truth. Or you could write fiction, or you just figure out some ways to sneak your own personal truth into a story, but always be storytelling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's uh, what I enjoy reading myself too because uh, I, I understand that lending a guest post when you're writing, uh, you know, a list post, let's say, with, with, with bullet points, it's it's much easier to land such a post. But uh, on the other hand, I, I just, you know, hate writing those. So <laughs> it's because I, I hate reading those, as you mentioned as well. They, they are kind of very, you know, people just go through the bullet points and, and that's it. They don't even read the post themselves. Yeah, well, pe- people tend to read uh, like like the letter F. So they read the title, and then they might read the bullet points underneath until they stop reading. So, so that's you know you, to engage them a little bit more than a le- than the letter F. You kind of have to tell a story every line. You kind of have to have a cliffhanger every line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, what about um, let's say? I mean, I- I'm seeing that you've been doing many many different things i mean apart from the writing you you do many different things in life so um first of all how do you manage to do all this at the same time and because you know it's it's those are like different projects and you know time wise and attention wise i don't know how you manage that and uh, why did you decide to do many different things and did not pick just one Well, I kind of just do, you know, first off, you have to do what pays the bills for you and your children and things like that. Although most people live higher lifestyles than are necessary, there's probably cheaper ways to pay the bills for for many people. But uh, uh, for me, I do what things are interesting. So if, if someone or something interests me a lot, then I'll get involved in it. Um, whether it's a business or a book idea or a post or an article or anything. I like to share my knowledge of, you know, so I have knowledge of business and I have knowledge of writing and I have knowledge of technology and I have knowledge of entertainment. So I like to share my knowledge that I have in different endeavors. And then I just keep going. Just again, I, I never can predict tomorrow. I may never get involved in anything new again. But my assumption is if I just keep doing things that are interesting to me today, uh, fun things will happen. I'll give you an example. Can I give you an example? Absolutely. So today, something interested me. Um, 
I decided, just for the fun of it, I'm going to take a very popular book and I'm going to hire somebody on freelance.com to take this very popular book and change every word but keep the same story. So um, if the words were, um, you know, Jane ran to the store, I might change that to uh, uh, Christine walked quickly to buy, you know, her clothes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so I, I'm going to basically, it's just for fun. I'm going to see if I can essentially just use like a, have someone use a thesaurus to change rewrite an entire book so it's the same book but just every single word's rewritten so nobody can say this is plagiarism and if i put load that book to amazon what will happen it's just an experiment so that's <laughs> what I, I i just had the idea to do it today i found someone um in india who extremely cheaply will do it by monday so i'll have the book finished wow. by monday <laughs> and then i'll use create space for free to pick out a cover and and I'll um I'm gonna make what I do is I'm gonna make for five dollars each Facebook ads to test out ten different titles. So I came up with ten different titles and I made ads for them on Facebook and I'll see which title people click on the most. I'll know by tomorrow which title will be the most popular title. And uh, by Monday I'll have the book. I'll load it up on Create Space, make a paperback and Kindle, and then I'll have a book finished. And then as an experiment, I'll see if the book does well or not. <laughs> Interesting. And, and, then, pre- and then and then either the book does well, and then I came up with an idea for a business, or the book doesn't do well, and I'll write a post about the experience. And either way, I win. Absolutely. So, and I presume the book you're using is a successful one. Yeah, sold millions of copies. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Well, great. And how do you deal with feedback? I mean, um, okay, doing ads and getting like the most clicked title is the um, the practical point uh, part of it. But how do you deal feedback about things you're doing from, let's say, readers? Um, oh, how mu- okay. So, how so, much importance do you give to the feedback? Do you kind of consider it and change things along the way, or uh, it's just something you you read and pass? I, I just read and pass because most people read something and they I hope they like it and they maybe they comment, maybe they don't. Some people read and maybe something is going on in their life that they're very angry about, so they make a comment that's angry at me. Mm-hmm. So. I find that very few comments are worthwhile. You know, the only worthwhile comments are constructive criticism, where someone says, you know, this could have been more helpful if you said this, this, and this. And then I might consider, is he right or is he wrong? Or is she right or is she wrong? But um, I, I wrote an article, actually an article about the, the, the situation you described where I quit this job. And uh, someone, I wrote that article up, I put it on LinkedIn, and someone commented, uh this person definitely has clinical depression. And I I do not have clinical depression. I'm a pretty happy person on the whole. And um, I noticed uh, this person, her job title was, um, I don't know, she was an executive assistant in some business. So I'm not saying anything about her job, good or bad, but she clearly wasn't a doctor or a psychiatrist or, mm-hmm. or someone who can pres- de- prescribe clinical depression, which is a weird prescription anyway like it's very hard to uh 
say, to analyze and say this person has clinical depression. Even a psychiatrist can't do that, you know, so easily. Mm -hmm. So this person was just off the cuff, obviously maybe angry about something in her life. Maybe she really wants to quit her job. But she couldn't. So she's angry at me for saying I quit so so easily. <laughs> so yeah. she says this person is suffering from... Cl-. She didn't say this person might be suffering from clinical depression. She said this person is suffering from clinical depression. So yeah. I, I, I wrote a reply, which I almost never do. I almost always ignore bad feedback. But I wrote back a reply and I said, uh, thank God, finally someone has diagnosed me. Thank you. And uh, I just did that for fun. But, you know, most of the time I I don't respond at all to any feedback because most feedback is really about what the other person, what's going on in the other person's life, not what's going on in my life. Okay, I see. And what about your interaction with your readers and your followers? Um, How do you deal with that? How much time are you spending with uh, interacting with them and how do you prefer to interact? Well, every Thursday I do a Q&A on Twitter. So later today, for instance, from 3.30 to 4.30, I'll do a Q&A on Twitter where people can ask me any questions and I try to answer all of the questions I get asked. So that's almost like having office hours on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times people send me emails, but it's it's hard to respond to say 100 or 200 emails a day. I can't really do it. So I'll find some that I respond to and then others I try to answer. I have a podcast called Ask Altucher. Sometimes I answer on that podcast. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I can't really respond to everybody, but I try to respond as much as possible. And I hope people don't get mad when when um, I don't respond. It's, not, it's my fault. It's never their fault. Um, but sometimes I'd rather just write for everybody than write for one person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, clear. And what idiom or figure of speech drives you crazy when people say it? Because there are several which, you know, people keep on uh, telling over and over again. Is there an, any specific one that irritates you? Um, by idiom, what do you mean? Uh, like uh, a figure of speech or something that, you know, a phrase that... Uh... Uh, I think... I think... Um... That's a hard one. I don't know. No idiom really bothers me that much. People can say whatever they want. Uh-huh. Okay. I see. I never I never judge what anyone else is like saying to me. Okay, here's here's a very small example. Very tiny. Sometimes people say the word lose and they spell it loose. L O O S E instead of L O S E. This is very common mm-hmm. on like, you know, all the internet message boards out there. For some reason, I don't know why this bothers me. Ah, <laughs> okay. There's, there's no real reason why it bothers me. It just does. Maybe because people call me a lo- a loser when they really mean <laughs> that they they, they want to call me a loser. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> interesting. I, I mean, I, I don't know. This, the spelling thing is, um, I mean, I'm a non-English speaker, but very often I too can kind of see many spelling mistakes that English speakers are making. So for me, it's it's very kind of, you know, it, it makes me feel good. <laughs> but oh, at the oh. same time, I'm, I'm, I'm getting surprised <laughs> that, you know. Uh, oh, well, I, I have, all, because I tend to write very fast and then post, I don't really, I mean, I do a lot of rewriting when I post, but um, before I post, but I don't necessarily spell check or even grammar check that much. So 
often people will point out to me spelling errors and grammar errors, and then they'll, I don't know, hate me for it. Um, so I don't really, I, 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 I don't really pay much attention to when um, people point out my own spelling mistakes. So because they're just going to happen. Yeah, I see. Particularly if you write a lot and you post a lot, it's just natural that grammar and, and spelling is going to happen. Yeah, and I think if we go back to what we spoke about, I think that the story is the essential and important part of all that. So you know, exactly, <laughs> it doesn't really matter if there is a small grammar mistake or a spelling mistake because the the message and the story is is the core, and that's what people should be looking for. Yeah. Yes. Well. Well, um, to to wrap it up, um, what's one question uh, you wish someone asked you, but no one did? Uh, yeah, good question. I might not know the answer to that. Um, <laughs> you know, I think people ask often, you know, what does it take to be successful or what does it take to make a lot of money? But people forget that people forget that it's the simple things that really plant the seeds for success. You know, uh, it's sort of like, you know, it's sort of like people ask, uh, what's salt? And they forget that salt is really made up of sodium and chloride. Um, Mm -hmm. It's the combination of the two. And so almost everything in life is made up of much more simple things. So what's success it's really a combination of being physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually healthy today. That creates success in, in the future. That's like the basic elements of competence, the basic elements of having good relationships with people, the basic elements of having freedom of choice in your life. And those things, competence, relationships, autonomy, those are kind of the basic elements of future abundance and success. So I think everybody wants to know, well, what side of the page should I put my button on that more people will click on? But really, the reality is focus on the basic elements first. Like, are you sleeping enough? Are you eating well? Are you hanging around good people and people who inspire you? Are you being creative every day? Are you grateful for what you have now instead of dwelling in regret and anxiety? You know, people forget about these simple things. And I wish people would more ask about the simple things than um, get, get you know, mired down in kind of the bad things in their life. Like if, if someone's in a bad marriage, say, you know, how do I deal with a husband or a wife who never listens to me? Um, you know, often that's not the correct question. The correct question is, am I getting enough hours of sleep per night <laughs> so that mm-hmm. maybe it doesn't matter so much that my, you know, maybe there's other ways to express my thoughts and feelings and actions to, to my spouse than, than demanding mm-hmm. and controlling that she or he listen to me. So people need to focus more on the, the simpler things that make life better. Okay. And the very last question before we part, it's um, many people from those who found out that we're going to speak together. uh, First of all, they were very surprised and happy for me. uh, And second, um, some of them approached you and Uh, never got I'm very happy for you too. Yeah. So I was wondering in this, I mean, I'm sure you're getting many emails, you're getting many messages and, you know, what's the thing that will bring higher chances to someone to get noticed by you? 
not by me in general, but in in general, if you can offer someone value, the the way the way to build abundance is to create abundance for others. So I know for me, when I am trying to create value for myself, what I really have, nobody cares about how much money is in my bank account. People care about how much money is in their bank account. So if I can tell someone, hey, if you do X, Y, and Z, you're going to have more success. Um, If I convince them that that's correct, then that's good for them. And then later on, it might create a situation which is good for me. So if I, let's say I'm an investor in a company and I go to another company and I say, hey, what your company really needs is another company that does X, Y, and Z. And they say, you know, you're right. And I say, well, here's, let me just intro- make this introduction for you. Has doesn't matter that I might be an investor. If I can really improve this other person's life, he might buy the company that I introduce him to. And then that creates success for me and that makes him notice. If I just say, hey, you should buy this company I'm invested in, they may never respond to me. Why should they respond to me? No one's out there to make me rich. They're out there to do what is good for them and maybe what's good for the other people in their life. And so so the way you get noticed is to create abundance for others. So, Ani, you um, you contacted me and you were... Uh, you contacted me in a, 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 a uh, you know, you told a personal story about yourself and the kind of uh, courage it took you to contact me. And also, I'm happy to be on a podcast because I can, I feel like I can spread uh, the word about a message that is very important to me. And so you offered value for me. Um, and that's why we're on a podcast now. Well, I'm, you know, once again, I'm really honored that you've been here. And I would like to thank you once again for coming over and spending your time with me. I really appreciate that. Oh, I really appreciate it too, Ani. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Okay, it seems like that's it for today. Thank you very much for listening. Please make sure that you spend just a minute for helping me out and leaving a review on iTunes for the podcast because that will help enlarge the audience and help and encourage and inspire more writers than I'm doing now. Take care, keep writing and stay being a Write to be Write listener. Are you struggling trying to figure out how to sell copies of your book, especially the first 100 copies? The Author Marketing Institute is offering access to their latest free video course called Selling the First 100 Copies of Your Book. This is the course everyone should have when they started publishing. It goes through all the basics from starting a mailing list to experimenting with different prices. If you follow the instructions in this course, you should be primed and ready to sell your first 100 copies, if not many more. Sign up for free at www.authormarketinginstitute.com.